Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. All right, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. I'm Liz Manischel. <laughs> this week we have director Oz Rodriguez on the show to talk about directing his latest feature film, Vampires vs. the Bronx. One of the other things in my checklist was I wanted to make up an adventure story, a fun adventure story with leads from uh, like a Dominican-American kid who was the lead. And a story like the ones I saw growing up, like Lost Boys and Goonies and, uh, you know, Monster Squad. You know, I saw those movies in the Dominican Republic and I was able to connect with those kids who are in a lot of them in California running around. So I was, I thought to myself, maybe it could be the other way. Maybe people can connect the kids running around in the Bronx. I really like talking to Oz. It was kind of an amazing conversation. He was interesting. It's like a comedy guy doing a genre film but like you could tell that he always wanted to really make a genre film so it's kind of it was fun to like see him make that make that happen and then obviously it was a very personal story to him too which is like always great i love how he talked about his career trajectory as if it was a straight line <laughs> like it was the weirdest thing it was like oh i just did this and this and this and it led to this and then i got this it was like this lovely pathway right yeah. i don't know it's very traditional in the comedy sense i think you know started at super deluxe made videos went to funnier die made more videos and then all of a sudden he's at freaking snl which is like yeah. crazy but i also think it's like the best version of that story you know like yeah that's like hitting the jackpot basically we also have a horror short film from a friend of the show dave bunsen which is fun and do we have anything else horror related today or is it just those two things just the state of the world Oh yeah, and the state of the world to add to everything else. Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah, before we get to Oz. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got mail. Liz, what do we got? Well, we have a new Patreon. It's We don't have new <laughs> mail, but we have a new Patreon and I think we should celebrate him for a second. Yes, let's do it. Michael Groves. Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is the big moment. He's a stranger to me. Is he a stranger to you? He is a stranger to me. This is our second stranger Patreon. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it, sir. Wait, you what know? if he doesn't like being called Mike? We don't know. Like, I only know that because I saw it in his email response to you okay. about um, the pin address. So that's why I was like, yes, he wants to be called Mike. And if that's Mike. a bad thing to say, Mike, and you actually prefer Michael, let us know. We're new friends now, so he can correct us because we're new. Yeah, we're like, exactly. we're establishing our relationship and the terms of our relationship. It was really funny because like Timothy, old co-host of the show, he hated being called Tim, but people right. always called him Tim all the time. And they would reference him as Tim. I'm just like, it's Timothy. His name is Timothy, damn it. I have Get a friend right. named Gabriel who would die if you call him Gabe. Hates oh, Gabe. Really? Yeah. Loves Gabriel. Gabriel. I get it. You know, yeah. Archangel. Come on now. You know, yeah. uh, not that I'm religious that much. <laughs> Happy Halloween. So the quarantine files on YouTube. Is this a you? Is this a you've got mail? What is this? Tell me what this is. All right. Well, so I'm now manning or womaning our Twitter page, and I'm just trying to figure out how to engage with people. So I thought, let's just do this weekly. It's really fun. I just put up a tweet, and I just said, 
tell us what to shout out when we record our segments today and the amazing lovely humans from two east eighth who have been like really wonderful supporters of us right now um they mentioned that they put on this you know just released the show the quarantine files on youtube and i thought why not let's let's promote them free of charge willingly and lovingly let's just let people know that they should check out the quarantine files Awesome. Yeah. They were the ones who put us on one of their lists, right? Of like yeah. best movie making podcasts or something. Yeah. I'm so honored whenever I'm, we're on a list. It's uh, Are we on other lists? We're on lists here and there. We're not on all the lists. Um, <laughs> what what was that? Those damn bastards. I think it was No Film School didn't put us on their list, but they put Just Shoot It and Indie Film Hustle on their list. And I was just like, well, they're really good. That's our squad goal. Our squad goal is to be part of the no film school. One day, one day. This um, year, this year. Th- this year? Yeah. Do you think they put out a list every year of the best filmmaking podcasts? I don't know, maybe they do. If not, like we'll make them. We'll inspire <laughs> them to create a new list to include us. Just from the, the greatness of our show, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I dig it. So if you wanna be like uh, Michael Groves and uh, become a Patreon, a patron Patreon, I guess is what you're really supposed to call it. Um, you can go find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. You can give us a buck, you can give us $5, $4 or $9 and you can get one of our, our pins, which are dwindling now, right, Liz? They're, they're dwindling. There's not so many. I mean, left. I only say that because it sounds more exciting. Like, oh, supplies last. No, there's tons. There's tons of pins left. And you two can get, and I usually throw in more than one. So you're getting a lot of value. <laughs> right, because we have so few. Um, <laughs> and then if you want to uh, be like other people who have done this in the past, it's been a while, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com and you know ask us a question, send a comment, or maybe make a suggestion on how the show could be better. And we'll talk about it on the show. And if we disagree with you, we will tell you that we disagree with you. If you make a suggestion, very we don't politely. Like. We're very polite disagreeers. Yeah, politely. But I mean, I think honest, critical, uh, you know, feedback or what's it, constructive criticism, that's always good. Um, and then lastly, jump over to Instagram if you haven't already. Hit that like button, follow, whatever you do on there. And then you can find our YouTube page. We've got this wonderful new YouTube page. We're getting new YouTube subscribers every week. We're up to like 129. We were at like 125 last week. So I've got four <laughs> new people in a week, which sounds like nothing. But to me, it's like, oh, man, people are actually giving a shit. That's cool. It's four new um, souls. It's yeah, they're not just numbers to us. I agree. Yeah. With you. And the views are going up. Like last week, we had like 20 something views on our episode. Um, and then but the week before we had like 10. So like we get those views to go up with the subscribers. I mean, who will be in the business? We also do very little promotion of this page. So it's oh, like yes. 100% organic, this growth. <laughs> we have not even posted it on our freaking Facebook page. Uh, that's how on top of things we are here. Um, so, but I think we have other things to talk about, Liz, like maybe a Get Shorty segment. Get Shorty. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. So this week we have a returning guest on the show, Dave Bunsen, also a wonderful local producer, writer, director, friend of the show. Met him way, way back when Timothy and I did the show years and years ago. We got a beer. It was cool. But uh, he also produced uh, one of my recent short films, Parka, that I directed that's not out yet. So thank you, Dave, my hero. Um, But he has uh, three horror shorts that he's done in the last few years, and they've been getting a lot of love. And I wanted to talk about The Devil's Passenger today 
because it's a really cool short. And, um, you know, it got to sh into Shriekfest. Um, it's getting lots of love, not only around Halloween, but just in general. Um, so yeah, let's hear Dave talk about uh, The Devil's Passenger. Hey all, Rick and Liz and the Making Movies is Hard audience. So let's get to the questions. So why did I make this short versus another medium? Well, I guess the first and first thing is, is that I've been making a lot of short films, very comfortable with making short films. Um, and I wanted to make three horror shorts. I wanted to do these for my YouTube channel, which is called Flix Horror. And I wanted to make three very different kind of horror films so that I had about four on there and to see if I could actually grow the channel. So why this story? This story came about when I lived in Los Angeles. I was on the 405 freeway and I was stuck in bumper to bumper traffic. It was really bad, uh, just as anyone that's been on the 405 knows. And it just was one of these situations where we were just inching along and I had a white van in front of me. And this is where I was just kind of thinking about this, like what would happen if somebody actually popped up and you know, what would I do in that situation? And I was thinking about like, could I stop the car? Could I get out? Could I actually intervene? You know, uh, would other people help me? You know, and all this kind of thing and started really just kind of got lost in the, um, in the thought process um, during this traffic. And this, this really stuck with me for years. And I remember that it was something that when I really kind of went to write this story, I used that as kind of my centerpiece and was like, okay, this is what I want to really expand on. How did your team come up with the funds? Well, this was completely 100% self-funded. Um, I did, you know, this, it didn't have a very big budget as most short films don't. Um, but what I tried to do is because I had produced a lot of content in the past was to try to be as smart as possible and try to get as much as possible, um, either inexpensively or free or favors or whatever I could possibly do so that I could really make this happen. I mean, I, there was so much that like in the sense of what, you know, ways to save money, you know, I directed it, I produced it, I wrote it and I edited the project just to really keep, you know, costs down and to try to just do as much as possible to get this thing made uh, with the tiny budget that I actually did have. Before making the short, what did I think uh, would happen with my career because of it? I really looked at this story as part of like three films that I was going to be making. I had made Tap already, which was a scene, and Devil's Passenger was to be kind of this narrative story. And then I was gonna expand on that with window dressing. Once I got the film finished, I released it on YouTube. My hope was to get the film made and get it online. And that was really the only goal for it. My high <laughs> watermark goal for this was to reach 30,000 views, 30,000 people watch the film, and um, which I really hoped would happen because I was releasing it right before Halloween. So what ended up happening was the film did really well on YouTube. And so I decided that I would submit it to a couple of the horror film festivals. I did it kind of backwards because most people go to film festivals first and then they release online afterwards. But, you know, because that wasn't really part of the process, I did it backwards. So the film was ended up going into these festivals. It ended up winning several awards at a few film festivals, which was awesome. Because of that, it continued to gain momentum on YouTube. And so to this date, it's been viewed like 485,000 times. Um, it's been subtitled in 15 different languages. And I went from having 
400 subscribers when I first started uh, FlixHorror to now I think it has over 7,700 subscribers. So it's really grown a lot and it's been fantastic. And I really appreciate everybody that's watched the film and, and supported it. So now that it's gotten around the world, what purpose has it served? Uh, the Devil's Passenger really has uh, gotten my name out there. Um, it's really gotten a lot of awareness uh, for the film and for me. Um, one of the things that's unique about YouTube is, is that, you know, did the movie a couple of years ago and it's still gaining momentum. And what it is, is it doesn't matter when your release date is, it's just when people really, you know, start finding it and start sharing it and all this type of thing. And, you know, people have been doing that and it's been really just amazing to, to watch. And I feel very, very fortunate that that's happened. So would I have done anything differently story-wise? Well, one thing... Um, that was in the original script uh, was, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on this, which is basically when the woman basically, she loses her phone, it drops down into the passenger floorboards and people are just like, well, why didn't she just go and pick it up while she was driving? And I had a scene in the original script where she tries to do that and she reaches down and she's trying to reach for the, the phone and she has to reach so far down that her head goes, you know, below the dashboard. And, you know, she's able, she's trying to touch it, trying to touch it. And all of a sudden you hear this horn beeping and she looks up and she, she, her car has veered over into the other lane and is going head on to a truck. And then she has to kind of whip around this truck and get around it. And it would send it, it's a great scare. And it also would kind of set like the tone as far as, you know, the phone is just not accessible. And I think that would have helped um, a lot of as far as being able to do that. But, you know, unfortunately, budget restrictions and just our time, we just didn't have the time to really do that scene. And so I ended up cutting that out. So that would have been really nice to have. But, you know, it's one of those things that I'm very happy with how the film came out and, you know, that people have enjoyed it. Hey all, Rick and Liz, thanks so much for including The Devil's Passenger in Get Shorty. Um, I hope that everybody has a chance to check out this horror film. Uh, now that Halloween's coming up, check it out. See what you guys think. Send me a comment. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I'm going to jump in on my thoughts on The Devil's Passenger. I, I feel like I'm going to be cranky about it. I'm trying not to be because we should always be supportive of people creating art and telling stories and putting things out there, it's really difficult. And I don't want this to be like, <laughs> let's jump on flaws segment, right? It can be though, it can be. <laughs> I don't want it to be. I just found myself wondering, what, what's the point of it all? Like, what's the point of this short? What, if we're gonna create this story, and maybe, and maybe Dave in answering our questions, which we haven't heard yet, is answering this question right now. And I look like a fool, a fool, and it's really a metaphor for the Vietnam War. I don't know, it could. <laughs> it could be this like amazing message. I'm not saying all films need to have messages. I'm just saying, I think as a woman, when I watch horror content, and I know that there's a history of, you know, torture porn and um, kind of like manipulation of the female form in this genre, I'm watching these two women get tortured and I'm wondering why, what am I learning? What's the point of it? And I know at the end, you know, there's a gender flip, but I really like horror to a specific end. Like that's why I love Mike Flanagan. That's why I like kind of these more family horror, like disturbing the domestic state horror rather than just like 
torture porn or hostile or something like something like that. Right. So I didn't I didn't know what the point of it was. I don't know why we need a three years later, you know, inner inner car, you know, intertextual reference. Um, I didn't think the makeup was really strong and I didn't love that stylistic element of those like minor jump cuts that were going throughout. So for me, it just didn't ring my bell. But um, wow, there I am being super negative about it. Poor Dave. Wow. Dave's like, fuck that girl. I hate Liz. He, he can handle it, man. He's, uh, you know, like made a lot of movies over the years. And I think yeah. he, he puts himself out there, which is why one of the things I really like him as uh, like about him as a filmmaker is that he's not one of these filmmakers who like makes a short film and then, you know, submits it to film festivals and then they keep it under lock and key and they don't like release it, you know? And uh, a lot of people do that, especially some of the more highfalutin types do that I've noticed, which is interesting. Um, But, uh, but yeah, no, he's not like that at all. He just puts all his shit out for people to see. You can find all his short films on either YouTube or Vimeo, which is great. And I'm just one lady's opinion. That's all. Just one lady, an opinion. It's interesting. Well, I wouldn't put this in the category of torture porn. Like I kind of feel like it's more in the category of like this little tiny little mini story, this little like mini slice, you know, it's like the, it's the classic like Twilight Zoney like rinse and repeat thing, right? Where it's like the, right. you find a story, you find you find yourself into a situation, you don't know what's going on, uh, you figure out what's going on, the person gets fucked, and then they it starts over in. again, right? right? Yeah, and then it, and it's just like a, it's a classic thing that we see in a lot but of it's like um, all these good deed doers are being punished for trying to do good deeds. It's maybe but maybe well, that's the worldview, right? I say don't tailgate you know, and don't follow people. Um, I'd say that's one thing, you know, maybe that's what this is trying to say. Don't be too nosy, you know? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I, I, so for me, like I, I saw this years and years ago when it first came out. Um, I've always liked this one. I thought this is my favorite of Dave's work just because it's really short and sweet. It instantly engages you and grabs you and draws you into the world. It's very clear. It doesn't muddle itself with like extra details that don't matter or extra plot points that are pointless. It just takes you on its journey. And before you know it, it's over and the trap has been set and, you know, taken and then, you know, you're off and then whatever, then the story's over and you're like, oh, that was fun. Oh, I was scared a little bit. Oh, that was cool. You know, all right, great job. Wait, hold on. Okay, so I'm going to, because you're a fan of it, so I can ask you questions and you might have reasons for why they happen. So like everything's fairly convenient for a horror film, like her phone breaks down or like we never answer the spider webbing or like, um, you know, we're following close behind, but like she, I, 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 okay. Why the phone breaking down? <laughs> the phone breaking. That's down. just classic horror tropes, man. But you we're know, past that just... point right now, aren't we? Smarter Are audiences we? who recognize those tropes, and we're trying to postmodern do something different than those tropes now. I kind of feel like if you embrace tropes, they can work for you a lot. And even yeah. still, like I mean, sure, like I, I, I've, you know who Ty West is, right? I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. So I saw him speak years ago at a film festival, and he was all about you know, playing against tropes and we have to go away from tropes and the jump scare and can't be a thing unless you subvert the jump scare and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I buy into all that, but then, yeah. you know, when you watch his movies, it's like, come on, Ty, you're fucking doing the same shit everyone else yeah, is doing. Yeah, he does the same thing too. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, you haven't like cracked the code and unlocked this amazing thing. Like you're still relying on tropes in genre, no matter how much you say you're not relying on tropes in genre. It's just, you are, you know, it just is. And sometimes you can go against them and you can go backwards, but you're still using them to your advantage. So I don't, I don't think 
that embracing them now and again is necessarily a bad thing, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, of course the phone's out. Fuck. You know? But it wasn't just out. It was like weird sci-fi out. It was like mm. some crazy alien. Which, which I like even out. more. I like that even more <laughs> that it's like some, this this creature, this demonic thing has got her. She's like, she's in the web of this this thing, whatever it is, the devil, uh, you know, a demon, whatever. Like, I like that kind of stuff. You know, I think that that to me, it just is satisfying, you know, in a way more so than the phone just going out, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just, I'll give myself a little bit of a break here in the sense of that, like, I'm like full horror brain right now, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. writing a horror script I'm watching horror films. We're almost done with haunting a blind manor. So Mm -hmm. I think right now I may be a little bit more critical than I would be had I seen this film a month from now Mm, or a month ago, but I want to commend Dave for making an entertaining short that just wasn't my cup of tea, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean anyway you know that it's objectively anything it's just not for me but he got the stamp of some of the horror gods like he got into shriek fest which is a hard festival to get into for uh for horror stuff i know i've been rejected every time (laughs) i've applied but anyways i stand by my statement i'm a fan of this movie i think people should watch it and i want to know would you come down on liz's side no is this bullshit is this a waste of our time or do you come back on all side like oh this is fun little good little short it's great the the, like one and a half people who respond to that prompt will be on your side i promise you (laughs) i don't know i feel feel like our listeners are very nice like no one responds negatively to things i mean yeah, we've had like very like few right now <laughs> negative responses no it's good i like it i like the honesty i like these two conversations because i think it's it's really interesting like like does every horror movie have to be a get out right like do, do they all have to have that they level don't need to have social value but i think they should have a point i just wanted to i want to know why mm-hmm. i want to know the worldview of the artist mm-hmm. even if it's not a political statement that's all. Mm. interesting maybe dave's a nihilist and he's just like we're all screwed. I think he's just trying to make horror movies. And, you know, that's like his goal is like, I want to make horror shorts that rock. And that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know if he's always trying to make a statement in his horror shorts. Like I, like window dressing. We didn't watch that one, but that's mm-hmm. another one that, that he did. That's pretty good. But I, I would say it falls into the almost exact same category. Like I wouldn't say like, there's no big statement. There's no big, like, you know, theme to, to it necessarily, but it's just fun little short film twilight zone stuff, you know? um anyways and is that so wrong people i mean maybe it is maybe we have to have themes in all our movies i certainly do or try to i just want to know you why you spend six months or three months or two weeks or whatever why you spend that amount of time on that piece of art that's all because Mm. i think you're getting a bunch of people involved you're using their time and their energy yeah and and dollar bills and dollar dollar bills so Mm -hmm. that's all true i think it might not be all. I keep. To, I seem to keep talking. It's not all, but I'll try to stop now. This is just a weird segue. We just found out that we're gonna have Joe Bob Briggs on the show uh, soon, which like I am so excited about. I've been watching his show every night, like since I told you I started watching his show. So, but why did you start watching his show? Because of you, Liz. Because you told me how great it was and that I needed to check it out, and so I got Shutter specifically to check out the show. Um, and it's amazing. And yeah. I've been watching a ton of horror movies lately and like all these weird ass movies like Society, which I love. 
That's oh my, my God. I love society. Society is amazing. I want to make it a society like movie so bad. The shunting. Now. Let the shunting the begin. Shunting oh my God. Out. No. So Sean, okay. So I know we're going to cut all this, but I have to say, so Sean paid for a cameo from Joe Bob Riggs from my birthday. Right. right? right. And he wrote a little bit and he's like, she really likes society. And like, she, he like just oh, listed my favorite movies and Joe Bob, remarks on the fact that I like society. It was like this nice little back and forth. Oh, that's really um, I fun. love gross out weird shit, but yeah. I do think that actually has a statement. It does. About class systems. It and, definitely does yeah. as a statement. That's why I like it because it's yeah. not just gross out. I also like that movie because it really commits to its tone and its style <laughs> all the way through. And it's bonkers crazy from the beginning to the end. And it's building up to the most bonkers crazy thing, but it's like oh. always got a little crazy running through it with like the dialogue and like the things the characters will like slip out, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, it's just so weird. It's so great. Oh, I love it. Super fun. Really good. We can agree on society. Yeah. First we dine, then we copulate. <laughs> Best line ever. Anyways, so I think uh, maybe it's time to go to Soap Dish. I'm Lori Craven and... I'm an actress. An actress, really? How nice for you. I'm Betsy Faye Sharon, and I'm a bitch. Yeah, so um, my good friend, uh, Sarah Moshman, who is a filmmaker and wonderful human, wrote a book. What is her book about? It's about documentary filmmaking. Ah, cool. She's made three documentary features, and she's done really well with them. And she does have oh, all wow. these, like, amazing speaking gigs around the world. Like, she's like a speaker, like an agent for when she speaks. Mm. She's not like me, where I'm, like, begging people to, like, invite me on their <laughs> Zooms. Like, she gets right. paid and traveled to speak. That's how important she is. Don't you get paid to do speaking engagements, too, sometimes? Isn't that happen? Sometimes. Every now and then, someone will take pity on me, and I'll, I'll get a little money. I got to figure out how to get into that game because I do a lot of talking with this podcast. Like, I feel like I should be making money off of it somehow. But uh, but I don't honestly like, feel like I'm like important enough to really speak at anything yet. I think I have to make like four more movies and then oh. maybe it can be important enough. You could read Sarah Moshman's book and maybe she tells you how she did it. Oh, good pointer. So we asked her a few questions about it and here she is to talk about it. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Moshman. I'm a documentary filmmaker and I've produced and directed three feature-length documentaries, The Empowerment Project, Losing Side of Shore, and Nevertheless. But today I'm here to tell you about my book. It's called Empowered Filmmaking, How to Make a Documentary on Your Own Terms. I'm a first-time author. I self-published this awesome book. And the reason I wrote it this year was like so many of us in the film industry, I wasn't able to make a documentary or really any media project that I wanted to make this year. So I decided to write a book about how to make one instead with what limited time I have as a mom and a filmmaker. Um, but I really wanted to take the reader through the entire process of making an independent documentary film from coming up with an idea, finding inspiration, you know, getting access to a character or an event or person through camera, lighting and audio basics to marketing, distribution, crowdfunding, fundraising, there's a big meaty chapter about fundraising in this book. So lots to learn. Um, it was really fun to write, honestly, to be able to reflect on all that I've learned in the last seven or so years making these three films. I went to film school, but really this book is about everything I didn't learn in film school and kind of picked up along the way. So I'm really proud to share it with you today and I hope that you'll order it. It's on Amazon, on Kindle, and paperback. Available as of October 20th, 2020. 
Why do I make documentaries? I make documentaries because it's such an incredible way to showcase a person, an issue, a character, an event, uh, a part of our life that otherwise doesn't get the light shined on them very brightly. I also have a, a deep passion for equality, feminism, and showcasing strong female role models on screen. So that's a huge part of my mission and my messaging is, is how to showcase stories of women that you've never heard before, but why haven't you heard them before in representation of women on screen and issues that impact women? That's what I'm most passionate about. And so I'll share a takeaway from the book. We have a whole chapter on interview techniques. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I actually worked on the reality show Dancing with the Stars for 10 seasons. So even just during my tenure on that show, I interviewed Olympic athletes and Super Bowl champions and Oscar winning actors and all kinds of celebrities that you've heard of and not heard of on that show. And then through making documentaries, you know, more long form content, I've picked up a lot of sort of interview techniques along the way. So I'll share a few with you today. Um, I would say doing your research is really important, you know, coming to an interview, knowing something about the person that you're speaking with, but also being open to where the conversation is going to go and not being too tied to your research or tied to the questions that you've prepared if you have. Um, I often prepare questions ahead of time and then honestly put those down and I want to be as present as possible with the person that I'm talking with and really listen, really listen to the person that you're hearing from and honor the fact that they've shared this space with you today. They're putting themselves out there. Sometimes they might be sharing a really painful or vulnerable story. Um, so really honoring that. Um, another cordial part of that is to make eye contact. I know it sounds so basic, but I've definitely been interviewed before when the interviewer didn't really give me any eye contact at all. And I felt really disconnected from them and didn't know where to look, first of all, but also just felt like they weren't really hearing me. So try to make it as conversational as possible. I often find that I probably look quite ridiculous behind the camera because I'm nodding or you know trying to be full of expression without making any noise so that my voice, my noises aren't recorded on the microphone. So I probably look like a fool, but what I really want is for the person I'm interviewing to feel comfortable to open up and to share something maybe they haven't shared before or weren't expecting to share or they were nervous, you know, being on camera is really uncomfortable for people. So you want to create an environment where people feel like their best selves and that they can really open up to you in a way that they might not have done so before. So I think in the interview space is really sacred. And so the more nurturing of an environment you can create, and that tags to your crew as well, you know, briefing your crew on what the subject matter is going to be about. If it's really sensitive, then you want them to know so that they're not, you know, being rude, just being on their phone or talking to each other, joking around. You, you really need to set the tone as the director or as the interviewer or both um, that this is your space and you want to create a really warm, welcoming environment for someone to come into. So great eye contact, do your research, create a nurturing environment, and you'll have, hopefully, a great interview. So check out Empowered Filmmaking, How to Make a Documentary on Your Own Terms, available on Amazon as of 10-2020, and hopefully you can get a lot out of it. I share all kinds of tips and tricks and stories. I go through my process to make all three of my films I talk about what my budgets were, how I created revenue from them, um, and everything along the way, very DIY grassroots production. So I'm Sarah Moshman, thank you so much. So I think with all that jibber jabbering, it's finally time to get to our awesome interview about vampires versus the Bronx 
with Oz Rodriguez. I was going to say starring Oz Rodriguez, but it's not starring. He's starring in the interview, but he's not starring. Well, we're here with Oz Rodriguez uh, from Vampires vs. the Bronx, director and writer, is that right? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, so we're going to start with a few rapid fire questions. I'll go first. How many days did you shoot the film? 25 shooting days. What can you talk about in terms of your budget? It was low. <laughs> it was a low budget. <laughs> it was low. We'll dissect that later. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> How long did you work on the film from inception to it being released? Uh, I guess three and a half years, maybe. Or oh, maybe, nice. I remember it was December, late December, 2016. I was in the Dominican Republic when I had the idea. So that, that I kind of remember that. Or at least the, the idea that I wanted to tell a story like this. Uh, how big was your crew? Crew was not huge. I'm going to ask my wife a question right now. Are, were we tier one or tier two? I think we were tier one. It's been, it, it was, uh, we'll get into this, we'll dissect this. You know, it was a tough shoot, so I, uh, I'm i very excited to celebrate how how well it's gone. But we'll talk about how crazy it was. Um, it wasn't a huge crew. I mean, I asked for a lot of favors. I come from SNL, so like, for example, I had uh, Louis from uh, SNL, the head of makeup, come down and he helped me with the vampires um, and our stunt crew was was limited but i think everybody was very excited to work on it um so uh, i wouldn't say it was a huge crew and then out of all your projects how difficult was this one it was up there it might have been the most difficult uh ever uh yeah you know it, it, it was uh yeah it was it was difficult I, I feel like we can dissect that in many many ways uh, <laughs> yeah. uh so teaser it was difficult so it's been exciting that to see the response well let's go back to that budget question because i think people would would listen to this show and and know this movie and say well it's on netflix and it's genre and look at oz he's got this like history of all these cool projects but you say it's low so um maybe some of the challenges that presented themselves because of the budget? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was uh, a low budget of, uh, it was $5 million uh, and it was very ambitious and not a lot of shooting days. We also uh, shot with kids. So uh, their shooting days were nine and a half hours. And I was doing a movie about vampires. So I had to shoot at night a lot and <laughs> their curfews midnight. And then I also shot in the summer in New York City. So the sun is going down at like 8.30. One day it went down at, at 9 p.m. And that was that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, it was insane. It was insane, insane, insane. So how do you navigate that? So, like, let's say, you know, you have only basically three hours to shoot with uh, the kids, like, on, on a night shoot exterior stuff right like what was your process to making that work i would say that i i, I learned a lot from snl uh snl there's obviously a, a budget it's, it's a successful show uh there's money behind it but uh what we don't have is time or we, um I, for example the videos i would do i would be handed a script wednesday night and then i had to pre-produce on thursday and then we shot friday and then saturday it's on the air so it was uh, an insane schedule <laughs> Uh, so I learned a lot there as far as like how to uh, figure things out less. I, I learned so much in every department, basically, a lot of problem solving. And I, I took all those lessons to vampires, which was, you know, I didn't have the resources of, of SNL, but I sort of, I use all those things that I learned and call on all the uh, favors. 
I could. So you were in the Dominican Republic and you came up with this idea. Can you bring us back? Tell us how it all happened. Uh, sure. I, uh, I was in the Dominican Republic. It was uh, sort of a crossroads because I had worked with, uh, 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 I went to SNL working with a friend of mine. Uh, we were directing together. Uh, his name was Matt Belines and he had passed away. So I was still at SNL, but it was like professionally, I was different. Uh, uh, you know, it was always us together. So there was that. I, I was I was at SNL, so I had a place to be, and everybody was uh, amazing there uh, through that time. But you know, I was it was a different situation for me. Um, and then at the same time, it was December 2016, so it was a, a month after. Um, and then I remember being at Dominican Republic, and Jeff Sessions is on record. Uh, speaking about Dominicans, uh, not in a fond manner. Uh, and I think that was another thing that uh, sort of, I don't inspired me to like, I, at that time I'd been in SNL for a few years and I've, I've gained the trust of people and sort of uh, been successful there. And I feel like now's the time to try to tell a story and basically shoot my shots. That's sort of where, where the first uh, spark was. And, and then Matt and I also uh, always wanted to do a movie about vampires. We were sort of obsessed with it and had all these silly ideas. So uh, that was in the back of my mind. Uh, but yeah, that was the that was where it started. That was the initial spark in the Dominican Republic in my parents' house. Wow, amazing. So I was going to ask the question, like, why horror, why vampires? But you kind of just answered that. That was like something that you always wanted to do. But when you're coming up with this concept and you're working on making this movie... Were there anything specific with vampires that you wanted to do that you felt like you hadn't seen before that you wanted to like kind of bring and, and show the world in this movie? So I think the, the vampires aspect was there and sort of, uh, it was sort of there, but amongst many other things, like I had other ideas. So that was like one of them. And then I, I, I knew I wanted to tell a story about Dominicans. Uh, I am from the Dominican Republic and I was, I live in New York. Um, there's a very large Dominican community over there. So that was, those are, I, I sort of had like these things that I wanted to do, like this sort of checklist of like, uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to tell a genre story and I wanted it to say something and also, uh, have Dominican, uh, a Dominican lead. And then speaking to people in the, in Washington Heights, which is a big Dominican community, a lot of them had similar stories about how the neighborhood is, is changing, how like literally the culture is being sucked out. Um, so uh, I think I made the connection there uh, to vampires very easily. <laughs> One of the other things in my checklist was I wanted to make a, an adventure story, a fun adventure story with leads from uh, like a Dominican American kid who was the lead and a story like the ones I saw growing up, like Lost Boys and Goonies and, uh, you know, Monster Squad. You know, I saw those movies in the Dominican Republic and I was able to connect with those kids who are in a lot of them in California running around. So I was, I thought to myself, maybe it could be the other way. Maybe people can connect the kids running around in the Bronx. So we're hearing a little bit about your the origin and you told us the budget, which you said was small and with the big lie, big lie, Oz, because $5 million is so much money. Yeah. Uh, and I know you were trying to do a lot, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got the funding and when did Netflix get involved and that whole process of being enveloped into their system? The money of it all uh, is, uh, yes, it's definitely a lot. Uh, it's a lot of money. Less than uh, you deserve, I agree. No, no, it's just uh, <laughs> it's also in, in New York City is is a tough, 
tough city to shoot. And uh, yeah, I was super ambitious. Yes, it's a, a ton of money for sure. It was crazy when when that happened. Um, I mean, it started as a universal production. Lauren has a deal over there. You know, I was, I was very lucky to have worked at SNL. Like this wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to Lauren, Lauren's office and tell him about the idea and the story. And I think it was at the right time because he was looking to make smaller budget movies at uh, Universal. <laughs> well, that is what they call them. I'm just quoting right. them. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> I know? mean, for, for like a, you know, an, a genre movie with a special effects and f- a flying death and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely did a lot. <laughs> well, I also, I think their deal is probably to make comedies. And I came in pitching a <laughs> an adventure horror movie that is also a comedy in there, but also had vampires and stuff. We set the movie up through Universal and then we uh, made the movie. And then after... The movie was made. It was uh, acquired by Netflix. It's a very, I shrunk the timeline immensely <laughs> there, but it's a universal production that was then acquired by Netflix. C- can you talk a little bit about like, you know, this is obviously an SNL thing, but like, is it just a thing when anybody who works for, for that show can just approach Lauren and pitch ideas? Is that like kind of a thing that anyone can do? Or did you have like a special in that allowed him to be open to hearing you out? Like, can you just talk a little bit about that process and how that worked? Yeah, I don't think anyone can go in there. I don't think that's, <laughs> that's, that is, uh, no. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was there for like seven and a half seasons. I came back for the at-home shows, which was technically my eighth season, I guess. So I, I've been there for a little bit and I think I have uh, earned people's trust and have earned Lauren's trust. And I think it just sort of happened at the right time. SNL is a tough place to 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 work at the demand is high for excellence, I guess. Like there's a history to it and you have the people that are working there are at the top level and doing the, their best. So, so yeah, it's a crazy place to work at, but I think once you've like shown that you can work there and belong there, I feel like sort of brought into this almost SNL circle. And yeah, I, w- I would say I earned, I earned the man's trust uh, so I can go in there and pitch this idea throughout the process, whether it's with Lauren or whomever, did you have to show any sort of, I guess, evidence of your prowess and horror and I mean obviously you have a varied history and not varied a like exemplary history in comedy but was that ever questioned your ability to handle horror so uh I I, one of the first things I did was uh, I made a sizzle reel with with the sort of the the tone the feel of the movie and that was uh successful and as far as like I showed it to like my manager and he I think he got excited and I, I feel like he got what I was going for. And that was the first thing I did. And I think from there, I put together a treatment with a lot of visuals. It was more of a, almost like a, a photo board because uh, I was new to the writing aspect of it. So it, uh, it started from an idea that I then wrote a treatment and shared that with Lauren. And yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, I was new to writing. So there was, there was maybe too many visuals stuff in there, but I think it also, it was good for people to sort of, I think it helped me in that aspect because uh, I think the comedy of it all, I don't think anyone was worried about it, but I feel like presenting uh, a sizzle reel or presenting a lot of visuals and sort of talking about the aspect, the, the horror aspect of it all, um, I think in that in that way, it definitely helped. Because, I mean, just on paper, you know, you, you kind of seem like you've done all this comedy, you have so much comedy experience that like you're like comedy director, comedy genre film, no problem, but like horror... It's not really as, you know, 
present on your, you know, just looking at IMDb at least. So that's pretty awesome that you went that way because that, that obviously convinced people that you could do it, you know. And it was actually funny, like, because I watched the movie, loved it. Congratulations. Great job. Thank you. Thank um, you. But, like, I wouldn't have guessed that you were a comedy director only based off the film because you really pulled off the horror stuff really well. So just getting into that, like, can you just talk about what your approach was for the more scary moments and and the suspenseful moments and how you wanted to really, you know, convey that on screen? Yeah, I mean, I I work mostly in comedy, but I think I've been successful because I don't, uh, I feel like just because it's a comedy doesn't mean it can't be visually elevated or, or interesting. So uh, I've always had that approach and I've always been a movie nerd. So, and like at SNL, after the digital shorts, there was, you know, the digital shorts were so successful and that's where I came in. And so there's like a standard that you have to sort of match and try to, try to even one up. So in conclusion, I'm a movie nerd. So, uh, so yeah, it was really fun to sort of flex that muscle because I haven't really, uh, really done anything like that. Like at SNL, we've had sketches that have had some horror elements like the Kanye story, but to really sit down and sort of figure out how to shoot a vampire movie with just the right amount of scares is really cool. So you know, we watch a lot of movies and we watch this movie more for the look and, and the the design of it all. But we watch, uh, or at least I watch Bram Stoker's Dracula a ton. I, uh, I'm a big fan of that one. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting because we, you know, you wanted it to feel scary, but also I've always, from the beginning, I knew I wanted to make a PG-13 movie. That was, that all I knew from the beginning that I wanted to make a movie where the kids that were in the movie could also, that age could also watch it. So so yeah, it's interesting, you know, you end up watching like all these sort of different types of vampire movies and there's movies with gore and sort of you take some of that, but uh, overall PG-13 was was my main goal. So yeah, Lost Boys was a movie I watched, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I I watched Kronos a lot. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> I went deep in. It was, it was really fun because there's so many... Um, there's so many different types of vampire movies. Like it's just a genre that is, there's something about it that is, is you can attach many different ideas to it. Sorry to take us back even further. I just, uh, a disclaimer, we're filmmakers and then our audience is mainly filmmakers. And they're always, we're always curious about leveraging aspects of our career to get to the next stage. And it seems to me just from looking at your resume and talking to you, you got on this like very cool fast track pipeline by working at SNL can you talk a little bit about how you got that job in the first place? Sure. So I'll take you all the way back to <laughs> the Dominican Republic. Uh, uh, so I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, I was in the Dominican Republic. I uh, at that point there wasn't really a film industry. Right now there actually is 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 a film industry, which is really cool and exciting. There's 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 even like a Pinewood Studios over there. But at that time there wasn't. Uh, so I saved up some money and I actually ended up working for a production company in the DR, one of the only ones. And I started editing there. And that was the first thing I learned about editing, sort of filmmaking, which I think to this day is super helpful to me. Um, but yeah, uh, after a couple of years, I moved to LA to LA Film School. I met Matt Valines. And after we graduated, you know, you graduate film school, you think I everyone's going to give me a job. This is going to be amazing. And of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. You know, we tried making a couple of music videos, but the bands wanted us to pay for this, these videos. And like, we're trying to pay for school that <laughs> we just, you know, uh, spent some money on. And then a friend of ours, 
Dave Neer came to us with an idea for a sketch and he's like, you guys want to shoot it for fun? And I, we were like, yeah, I guess, why not? Um, and we actually worked at the film school that we went to, a film school there at the equipment room. So we just borrowed the cameras and went, saw, shot a silly sketch. We shot a, a couple sketches, put them online. And then we got an email from uh, this company called Super Deluxe that was starting, uh-huh. it was a website. It was pre funny or die or maybe around the same time. And they liked this sketch. I, I don't really even know how they got to it. Cause I, you know, I did the usual thing where you just send the email blast to all your friends, but I don't know, somehow it got to them and they, they were starting this website and they obviously wanted content and they gave us a little bit of money to make three sketches. And it was the first time that I had, you know, that we'd been paid to write and direct and edit and like, to, to be filmmakers. It was amazing. So we did those three and they liked them. And then they gave us a little bit of money to make 10. Wow. And after that, they asked for 30. Um, wow. So for like wow. a year and a half, we, you know, we were like our own little mini production company. Uh, and Dave was writing the shorts. Uh, we got our friends to DP them. And then we kept the our jobs at the film school. Sort of, we didn't, we weren't full time just to be able to borrow equipment from, the film school, <laughs> which right. I told everybody there now. Uh, <laughs> I came clean. But yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, so we did forty five sketches, I guess, maybe even more. Um, so it was it was almost like a second film school in a way. Uh, uh, we learned so much, and you learned so much about working with actors and and some writing and editing. And then they ran out of money, super lux, and they closed, and then we didn't have a job. But then I threw a Hail Mary. I went to Funny or Die, and I sent Adam McKay a DM, uh, which I didn't even know those. that's what you called them back then. Um, and I just, like, sent them, sent him our stuff and, like, just told him about us and closed it and went about my day thinking there's never – he would never respond. And I think I didn't even, I think I checked the next day and he had responded that same night. And we ended up getting a general funny or die. And then from there, they gave us like some money to make a sketch. That sketch was successful. I, uh, you know, Will Ferrell and McKay and Andrew Steele liked them and put it on the front page. And from there, we got a job at funny or die. Wow. So um, yeah. And funny or die was almost like, the next step as far as filmmaking academy because we started working with bigger budgets ish for a, for an online sketch like we came in at a really amazing time and there were all these amazing ce- celebrities coming in and also like just random people like i went to charlie sheen's house and shot a video there like that's wild around that time uh, the tiger blood time so we were at funnier die did a bunch of things there and funnier die has this connection with snl uh you know, uh, Adam McKay, Will Ferrell, and Andrew Steele, too, is one of the writers, uh, uh, was a writer at SNL. So I would assume that that's how they heard about us. And then I, we had a meeting with Eric Kenward, who's a producer at SNL. And, and then, like, a couple of weeks later, they just called us and said they want to fly you to New York to do an interview with everybody at SNL. And that was... That was the beginning of that. I think I be, I made this very long. <laughs> that was that the answer to your question, right? Is that how I got there? Yeah, it's perfect. Sounds yeah, like so a it was like we coaster. started <laughs> we started in this interesting time where it was like beginning of online sketches and like almost like YouTube. So um, and, and also like shooting digitally and and editing and putting it out a uh, fast turnaround. Like yeah, it was really exciting to 
to, to be in that time, I guess. Now I feel very old saying it like that. Well, there's like 1,000 million questions to ask you about all that, but we don't have all of the time in the world. So I want to just ask, like, now after you've done this movie, this this genre, comedy, horror, vampire film, what do you want to do next? Like, are you interested in more genre films like this? Are you just going to go back to comedy? Like, where, where, are you, where are you at now as a filmmaker? I would like to... Uh, tell more stories, more personal stories that I um, um, that reflect me and my community and people that look like me and, and sort of put diversity on on screen. And I think I uh, I I would I I would like to keep working in sort of the genre space because it's it's an interesting way to talk about things uh, and and interesting ideas and messages without seeming too preachy or 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 knowing too serious but i think you can also have an interesting lesson uh in in these genre stories so so i so it's a little bit of both i'm also still working in in comedy i'm, I'm shooting uh michael michael chase sketch show starting uh you know next month so i'm still uh and i i, I love it it's great but but I've also it's been exciting to tell my my own story and, and tell a story that has Dominican kids and Puerto Rican kids and Haitian kids running around and and, and kicking butt. Like I'd love to love to keep telling stories like that. So we have five final questions. Um, they're more like long view questions about you and your career. And the first uh-huh. one is, what's the first film you ever made, and how do you feel about it now? The first film. I made the first film you've ever made. Yeah. Well, this feels like the first film I ever made because I directed it, wrote it. I, I, Matt and I also worked on a movie called brother nature and that was amazing. I think because I wrote it myself, it feels, uh, it feels like a new, uh, such a brand new thing for me. I feel great. I feel, uh, this last week, uh, has been amazing. It's been, uh, so cool to see the response, especially, as far as like, I, I kind of set out to do a movie where uh, the the kids in it, the the leads look different than the type of movies that are out there, and and it's been nice to see the response of people from New York and and people from immigrant communities and just people from all over the place saying that they feel so seen and they 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 they're so excited that there is a story like this and. I've got messages from moms that their kids were so excited to see it and, and, and see themselves reflected on screen and now are sort of wanting to be a little vampire slayer. So I feel great. <laughs> in conclusion, I feel it feels awesome to see the response. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? It was almost like a philosophy or something. In film school, they gave us a camera on the first day. And I had to do a short by the end of the week. And I had just moved to LA, so I, it was sensory overload i couldn't believe that but at least it gave me something to focus on and it's not necessarily advice but it's something i always think about because uh what i tell people is always be as creative as you can and if you have the chance to make something even it's with your phone and and sort of push yourself to experiment and to learn i feel like that'll just make you a stronger filmmaker and and the reason i say that is i I haven't stopped working since that day, I feel like I, I've gotten to this place because I've learned and sort of stumbled a bunch of times and, and, but just always sort of put myself out there to try to do something. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? To make more movies? <laughs> uh, I would love to, I would love to make more movies and, and, 
not to sound like a broken record, but I'll, to make more movies like vampires with with leads and and characters and neighborhoods and uh, places like that. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Oof, uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Sleep. And then also, you know, it's okay to be afraid. Uh, I think if you are scared a little bit, I think that's good. You it means you you care and you want it to to be good. And I feel like now, it's now nowadays. I, I feel I recognize that that if you're afraid to do something, it's it's because the challenge is interesting. So, uh, so I would I would say that is making movies hard. Yes, making movies is very hard, but there's nothing like it. Awesome. So uh, where should people go if they want to find you? Just watch Vampires on Netflix or where, where, where should people head? First, watch Vampires on Netflix, for sure. Watch Vampires <laughs> on Netflix. And then I'd say maybe rewatch it again. And then maybe tell your friends. And then, oh, you're asking me if I'm on the socials. I am, but uh, it's not going to be an exciting follow. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, my name's Oz Rodriguez in the the Twitter and the Instagram, uh, but uh, truly not important. I would just want people to check out that, uh, Vampires vs. the Bronx on Netflix. And if they like it, tell someone. Awesome. Thank you for coming on our show. Yes. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you to Oz Rodriguez for being on the show and Christine Sun from Netflix for all her, all her work in arranging it. That's not, she's not arranging. What is she arranging? She arranged it. She arranged it. She set it up. Yeah, she arranged it. Okay. Like an arranged marriage, but like an interview instead. The exact, <laughs> that's the analogy we're going for here. Um, check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com. You can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. If you want to get in contact with us, we really do respond to every single message. Send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I am Liz Manischel on Twitter, Liz Manischel Film on Instagram, and Ulrich, where are you? I am Ulrich B on Twitter, which I rarely use except to like Liz's tweets, and I am also Ulrich B on Instagram as well. If you like the show, tell a friend, help us get the word out, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. They actually are incredibly meaningful to us. Um, thank you to Ulrich for editing this show, and we will talk to y'all next week. Um, cool. Is that good? It's okay. Yeah, I do actually like that. I think we should keep that. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, okay, ready? Ready?